Genesis chapter number 29. We'll continue this series that the Lord has dealt with my heart about concerning marriage in Genesis. And I'm going to be honest with you. I thought I had this, this series figured out. I thought I knew where every message was going, kind of the general idea. But the week, this week, when the Lord told me what to preach, it shocked me. I was shocked. And I sat in my office, and as I started to develop the message, and God started showing me what to preach, uh, I thought, boy, that's not what I, that's not what I thought I was going to be preaching on. And uh, we've talked about Abraham and Sarah. They had a stained marriage. But God overcame the stain. And then we talked about Isaac and Rebekah. They had a strained marriage. We're going to pick up our reading in verses, verse number 20. And we're going to look at Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. They had a strange marriage. Anytime you've got more than one wife, I'd say it's a strange marriage. Matter of fact, if a man's got two wives, he's got one too many. For sure, one too many. And as we'll see this morning, Jacob had two. Verse number 20, the Bible says, And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days. For the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife. For my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered all together, together all the men of the place, and made a feast. It came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. And he went into her, and Laban gave unto his daughter uh, Leah, gave unto him his daughter Leah. And Zilpha, his handmaid for an hand, uh, his maid for an handmaid. It came to pass that in the morning, what a surprise! Behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, "What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me?" And Laban said. Must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. And he gave him, Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Billa, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went also, he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. 
when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened up her womb, but Rachel was barren. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you'd help us to preach this heavy message that you've laid on our heart. Lord, there's some lost people here today. I don't know when their last chance will be. It could be today. I pray that you'd convict them. Lord, lead them to an altar of repentance this morning. Don't allow them to leave. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict in this service in a manner in which, Lord, that we could leave here and say God did a work. Help us now as only you can, and we'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. When we last saw Esau last week, Isaac and Rebecca had had them twin boys. We talked about the division that had came into their lives. And basically what happened was that Esau had to be run off. Or, or rather Jacob had to be run off because of Esau. He was afraid of his brother Esau. And so Jacob went to Haran there where his uncle Laban was and there to find a bride. But on the way, he has an experience with God. There in Bethel, he sees that great ladder, Jacob's ladder and the angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And it were, if you may, a salvation experience. It was the place where Jacob put his confidence and faith in God there at Bethel. He journeys on down and I see him as he's weary and worn. No map to follow, no GPS to, uh, you know, he didn't couldn't just say, hey Siri, take me to Laban's house. And so he's wandering through the wilderness and one day he comes upon some shepherds. And they're there about to water their flock, but they're waiting for the other shepherds to come. And uh, Jacob asks and says, uh, is this Haran? Is this, is this the area? They said, yeah, you've, you've arrived. He said, what about Laban? Does Laban live here? My uncle Laban, yes, Laban lives here. Well, about that time, two shepherdesses come over the hillside, and there was beautiful Rachel. And the Bible says that Rachel was very, very beautiful. Look what the Bible said there in verse number 17. It says, Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. No doubt as Jacob looks at Rachel, his heart turns a beat. He's the, she's the prettiest girl that he's ever laid his eyes on. I mean, he is absolutely infatuated with Rachel. Every time he, she comes around, he is just overwhelmed by her beauty. And there is a danger that we'll see in the day's message in having a relationship that is based solely on the way someone looks. But that's how 
Rachel and Jacob's relationship starts out. He's only interested in her because of a physical attraction. And so he just has to have her. He is just so interested. And he goes to Laban and he says, I'll do whatever it takes. And Laban said, well, work seven years and I'll give you Rachel as your bride. And he spent those seven years working. And the Bible said it seemed like a short time. I mean, he loved Rachel so so much he wanted her so badly that the years just flew by and finally the day came and he went to Laban and he said give me my wife but he falls a victim of deception now when you read this story you probably think how could that happen how do you get the wrong wife right and it's because we think of weddings like we think of weddings you know, where everybody comes and gets an invitation and we stand and the bride comes walking down the aisle. Well, it would be hard to, uh, it'd be hard to fool somebody with the wrong bride the way we do weddings. But you've got to understand, they didn't do weddings like we do weddings. So what they did is they'd throw a feast, but only the men would come to the feast. And they'd, they'd drink and carry on and have their big feast and toward the end of the feast after it had gotten dark uh, the bride would come in but she would be veiled you couldn't see anything about her you couldn't see her face you couldn't see anything uh, and the dad would present the bride and then you he took her into a dark tent uh, there wasn't no lights uh, and he spent the night with her uh, and it wasn't until the uh, the day broke on the next morning the light shined in the tent uh, and he looked he had the wrong woman. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how that must have felt? Now, there's a lot of things we could talk about right here. We could talk about the love at first sight, and certainly Jacob had a love at first sight. Oh, here's something interesting. We could preach a message, and this is kind of the direction I thought that this message would head today, on, on Jacob's commitment to the marriage vows. I want you to think about something. Now, I'm going to ask you men something. If your father-in-law, those of you that are, that, are, that are married, if your father-in-law had somehow passed off the wrong woman to you in marriage and you woke up the next day and found her in your bed and you went, this is not who I've been dating. Would you not, most of you probably, would have went back and said, look here, I, ain't, I, I don't care if this was an accident. We're getting this annulled. I am not taking her to be my bride. Forget it. I, this was not my fault. I am not taking her. But Jacob realized that like it or not, he was married to Leah. And he honored those marriage vows and kept her. And so he goes to Laban. He said, what have you done? You done married off that ugly daughter. That ain't the one I wanted. I want that pretty girl. Laban said, oh, you can have her in a deal. I'll just seven more years. He said, fulfill your honeymoon week. Come on back and I'll give you my other daughter. Laban gets 14 years out of marriage, rid of, it, rid of both his daughters. Everything's good. So he fulfills that week and within... Uh, eight-day period Jacob's done got married twice 
Now, wouldn't you say that's strange? So strange. But as the story goes on, it begins to reveal something very interesting about Leah and Rachel. And what's interesting is if you'll study and look at the story, Leah ends up being the better two of the wives. As a matter of fact, in the verses that I read to you this morning, God looks down at Rachel and Leah and basically God feels sorry for Leah because nobody loves her. And so what does God do? He opens up her womb and Leah starts bearing Jacob children and God has favored Leah over Rachel and Leah is true to Jacob all of his years. And as a matter of fact, spoiler alert, when it's all over, Jacob ends up being buried not next to beautiful Rachel but next to Leah in the family tomb but Rachel now Rachel was one that had a lot of problems she's beautiful she's beautiful but she had a lot of problems really if you study the life of Rachel I don't believe she ever believed in God you can read it for yourself. I, I read over it again this last week, and like I said, I thought I was going a complete different direction with this message, but as I read over this stuff, God started showing me, I don't ever find anywhere Rachel ever believed in God. And I believe that Rachel is a picture of being unequally yoked. Actually, if you read the story, now there's a lot of typology stuff, and I'm not dealing with typology, I'm just talking about the story. If you read the story, the will of God for Jacob was to be married to one woman. That's the will of God for everybody. God never willed it for anybody to be married to two women. And the woman he willed God, Jacob to be married to was Leah. But he couldn't stand it. So he married Rachel. Now, I done told you that Jacob had a salvation experience down at Bethel. But Rachel... Rachel, and, and I'll draw it out of the scriptures for you here in just a minute, she's like she never believes in God. And I want to tell you, when you've got a relationship where one of, the, uh, one of the members in the relationship believes in God and hasn't had an experience with God, and another person in the relationship has no experience with God, they don't know the Lord, they've never been saved, no good can ever come out of that. That's the reason the Bible warns us about being unequally yoked. And let me tell you what I believe. I believe a lot of marriage trouble can be solved by, by, by one or both of the people being involved simply getting saved by the grace of God. So really, I'm not going to do so much with marriage this morning I'm going to preach to the lost a little while I want to ask you are you like Rachel maybe you're in a relationship maybe you're married to a saved person maybe you've come to church maybe you're faithful to church but really down on the inside have you ever had a life changing experience with the God of heaven have you ever really been born again and it might be that the problem with your marriage is that you're simply not saved now before I get started I want to define what it means to be saved there's a lot of different a lot of different opinions somebody said well I got baptized they don't save you 
You be baptized and baptized and baptized. You say, well, I got confirmed. Does not save you. Well, I, I walked an aisle. I signed a card. None of that will save you. Salvation is an experience with God. It's when you put your faith in Christ and Christ changes forever your life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. I'm not talking to you this morning about a religious experience. I'm not talking to you this morning about being a member of a church. I'm not talking to you this morning about saying you're saved or telling. I'm talking about have you ever really, honestly had an experience with the Lord? Have you ever really been changed through salvation? Jacob, you watch his life. His life changed after he met God at Bethel. He wasn't the same Jacob anymore. Rachel never had a life-changing experience. I'm going to give you three things about her. Number one, I want us to think about the selfishness she harbored. When Leah started having children, she couldn't stand it. Oh, she got so jealous of her sister. And she goes to Jacob and she says, give me a child lest I die. She said, if you don't, if you don't give me a baby, I'll not live. Jacob said to her, am I God? I can't decide whether or not you're going to have a child. That's a miraculous thing between you and God. I can't decide that. Her desire to have a child had nothing to do with wanting to honor God. She was in a jealous competition with her sister and it was all about her as a matter of fact if you'll read the story of Rachel's life Rachel's life was 100% about her everything was about her she was selfish in her life let me say this to you selfishness is the number one killer of marriages when you're selfish you're never satisfied you always demand more out of others the only person that matters is you and it's the default position of mankind can we all get real honest this morning Everybody in here in a natural state cares more about you than you care about anybody else. That's what the Lord told those Pharisees in my Sunday school lesson this morning. He looked at them and he said, I know you. He said, you don't love God. The love of God's not in your heart. All you worry about is honoring man. He said, I know you, all you worry about is getting accolades for yourself. You don't worry about honoring God. You don't worry about loving God. I know you. Boy, God spoke to our hearts this morning during Sunday school in that Jesus knows. Let me say to you this morning, whether or not you're saved or lost, you may have it hid from everybody else in this building But the Lord is able to look at you the same way he looked at those Pharisees. And he says, I know you. I know what's in your heart. And it's not the love of God. 
It's only a selfish desire to have your own needs met. You see, the only thing that makes a man unselfish is when the love of God sheds abroad in his heart. When the love of God sheds abroad in his heart, suddenly a man becomes more interested in what is good for others. But as long as a man is lost without God, selfishness pervades his life. He's only worried about himself. Uh, Listen, let me ask you something. Uh, Have there ever been a time in your life when you fell out of love with you and fell in love with Jesus? Selfishness. Did you know, let me ask you a question. If I ask you this morning, what was the opposite of love? Probably most of you would answer hate. Hate's the opposite of love. But really, the opposite of love is selfishness. That's the opposite of love because that's just, when you're selfish, the only person you've got to love for is yourself. And you're so in love with yourself, you can't be in love with nobody else. That's the way that Rachel was. Selfishness is a character trait that we hate in others, but we justify in ourselves. We say, I got to take care of me. That's the mindset of the world. And when you're lost, that comes naturally. Some of you are sitting right right, right now and you're thinking, this is the silliest message I've ever heard. Of course, I'm going to take care of me. Who else is going to take care of me? I've got to take care of myself. I've got to see to myself. You see, that's the problem. That's the problem. When you get the love of God in your heart, suddenly, I'm not going to say you won't ever do anything selfish again. We're all prone to selfishness from time to time. But there'll be a love and a desire to help others and to make a difference in the lives of others and life will quit being all about you. Some of you in here this morning Life is all about you. You're the only person you care about. If something wrong happens in your family, it's always about how it affects you. Why is that? Why is it you don't ever have any concern for anybody else? I'll tell you why the Lord told the Pharisees. He says, you don't have the love of God in your heart. He said, I know you, you ain't got no love of God in your heart. Because if you had love of God in your heart, you wouldn't care about this honoring others. You would care about honoring God. And the way that you honor God is to be, is show the love of God to others. Rachel had selfishness in her heart. Selfishness uh, is the opposite of love. Selfishness is the default state of all lost people. So she had in her heart, she had harbored a selfishness. And some of y'all have that problem. I'm going to cut the chase. Jesus looked at them and he said, I know you. Can I say this morning, I know you too. I know you. And the Lord wants me to deal with some things right here I don't want to deal with. But I know you. And without being too direct, I'm satisfied that what some of y'all need to do is get saved. And I'm not being mean. I'm just being honest. And it'd be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. It would be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. 
I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. I'm trying to be your friend. Me being mean would have went, what I'd have done if I'd wanted to be mean is I'd have went the other direction of this message and not made nobody uncomfortable. And I just let you die and go to hell. But how do you think I would feel when you're burning in hell and I've got your blood on my hands? So when God said preach this today, all I know to do is preach it. Now some of you, you're only wrapped up in yourself. You never, you never give a thought to God. You never give a thought to anybody else. You live every day of your life. You never think about God. You're not interested in things that God, the only God you get is an hour in here on church. And you're saved? No, you're not. You're not. To tell you any different than that would be to lie to you. You're not. There's a selfishness she harbored. But then there was the sin she hid. So the time comes and they move out of Laban's house. Rachel could have took anything. She could have grabbed whatever. You know what she took? She took Laban's gods. It made Laban so mad he run her down. And he said, where are my gods? Y'all took off of my gods. You can't have my gods. Ramsacked the tents. Rachel's sitting on them in, under the saddle. And I never find where she ever confessed it to anybody. So how did it end up in the Bible? Because although Rachel had her sins hid from everybody else. She did not have them hid from God. God knew right where those idols were. Now, I taught on it in Sunday school this morning. I told them in Sunday school, I said, I hate to teach on what I'm preaching on. Sometimes you just get it on your heart and it just comes out of you every time you open your mouth. But I said to them this morning in Sunday school, you can fool me. I've been fooled before. Matter of fact, it don't take a lot. I won't try to believe the best in everybody. You can fool me. You can fool your husband, fool your wife, fool deacons, Sunday school teachers, have everybody fooled. You could have everybody so fooled that we roll your casket right up here when you die. And we'd all run and shout and say, hey, they're in heaven. Hallelujah, it's good. Boy, they left a great testimony. Thank God. But inside you know and Jesus knows. There's still things that ain't right. You know. The Lord knows. You got it hid. But there's one person that always knows. One person. It always knows. She hid it. Then she refused to confess it. How could it have been different? If Rachel had said, Oh man, yeah, I stole them idols from my dad. I'm carrying sin. 
Jacob, take me up to Bethel. I want to meet God. Take me up to Bethel. I, I want to have an experience like you had, honey. I, I want me and you to be on the same page spiritually. And obviously, you've had an experience with God, and I've never had an experience with God. All I know is these little old trinket gods. I, I really don't know the God of heaven. Would you take me up there and allow me to see the God that you're talking about? But no. She said, uh, I just tied my gods. Nobody will know. But again, I go back to what the Lord said to them Pharisees this morning. He said, I know you. He said, I know you. There was the selfishness she harbored. There was the sins she hid. But then, lastly, I'm going to be done. There was a son she had. She's, they're on their way to Bethlehem. If you remember, I preached on this boy when I was preaching. I know a man from Bethlehem. She goes into labor and she has this boy. His name's Benjamin. But the labor goes wrong. And, you know, in, in those days, a lot of ladies died during childbirth. And she's dying. She looks at Benjamin and she says, with her last breaths, she says, name him Benoni which means the grief of my life. You know what she was saying? In spite of my beauty, in spite of my little G-gods, now when it's time to die, I've got nothing but grief. It's the grief of my life. Now you know the story, how that Jacob named him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. But I see Jacob standing next to beautiful Rachel's dead body. And he's holding a little baby. Standing next to him is a five-year-old kid. How old are you, Mason? Seven. Who in here is about five? Come here, Samuel. Come here and help me preach just a minute. Just walk right out here and help me preach. Hold my hand right here. Standing next to Jacob. I wish Israel's here. I'd hold Israel in one hand and Samuel in the other. There, Jacob is holding a newborn baby. Standing next to Jacob is a five-year-old boy named Joseph. Let me ask you something. Will Rachel ever make an impact on either one of these kids' lives? Never. Joseph will never remember his mama. Maybe just a vague memory. Benjamin will have zero memory of his mama. She made no impact on their lives because she had never had an experience with God. And when she died, she said, my life is nothing but grief. In the end, you can convince a lot of people of a lot of things. There's going to come a time when you draw your last breath. 
And when that happens, it don't matter anymore who you've convinced of what. She laid there under that tree and died. Her youngins walked away from her and she never made an impact in their life because she refused to have an experience with God. You can go sit down, buddy. Thank you. You did great. Can I ask you something? I never intended to preach a salvation message in the middle of all these marriage messages. This is the last thing I ever intended. This week, God opened my eyes. He said, son, this Sunday you better deal with salvation. You better ask some hard questions. You better not beat around the bush. You better put it to them. Can I ask you, have you ever had a life-altering experience with God? I want you to go back and think about right now. I want you to go back and think about being saved. Go back and think about it. The day you got saved. Some of you are struggling. Struggling? What do you mean the day I got saved? Are you talking about the day I got baptized? No. You talking about the day I started going to church? No. I'm talking about the day that it dawned on you that you needed Christ. And you put faith in him and it altered your life. Amen. Why don't you think about it? You say, I have no recollection. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. There's a lot of days I don't remember, Billy. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day. I ain't been perfect since then, Cody, but I ain't never been the same. That day changed my life. Turned me inside out. Everything's been different since that day. It could be that there's several people in here this morning that never have had that kind of experience. Never had an experience you ought to consider it you ought to consider it you ought to junk that selfishness and pride junk that sin that you're hiding and determine that your life is not going to be a grief when you come to the end of your way and you're dying you ought to determine I'm not going to die lay on my deathbed saying my life has been a grief it's just been a grief of life Instead, I'm going to lay on my deathbed and look into heaven and say, glory to God. Glory to God. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to come sound the instrument. Father, in Jesus' name, 100% I preached what you gave me this week. Now I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would do a work of great conviction around this place. I pray, God, that you'd convict sinners. Lord, if they'd be one sitting back there right now and they're searching their minds, but really down deep on the inside, they understand and know that they don't really have a salvation experience. I pray that today would be the day that you'd change their life. 
I pray, God, that you'd help them find their way out of their seat and come forward and bow in an altar and have a real experience with you, a life-changing experience. This could be their Bethel. This could be the place where life changes. Do that now as only you can in our midst, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder this morning if there'd be one that would be honest enough to slip out from where you're standing right now and say, Preacher, I'm not 100% sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. I'm not 100% sure. I want to come and know for sure that I'm saved. I want to come and put my faith in Christ and have a life-altering experience. I'm living for myself. I'm consumed with me. I have no interest in the things of God. God doesn't cross my mind very much. And I know that that's not how it should be. So I want to come by on that altar. I, I believe if there'd be one come, there'd be several. Preacher, I'm coming today. I don't want to, I don't want to risk it. I do not want to risk dying and going to hell this morning. I do not want to risk it. The Lord looks at you and he says, I know you. You're not saved, you know it. Why don't you move? Why would you gamble eternity? It's a mighty long time. Preacher, I'm coming this morning. I want to come. Why don't you grab somebody next to you right now? Conviction's all over you. Why don't you just grab somebody next to you and say, let's go. Let's go. I don't want to die and go to hell. I want to make sure that I'm saved. I want to know that I know that I know that I've been born again. I'm not going to, I'm not going to drag it out. I'm not that kind of preacher. If the Holy Spirit can't bring you, it don't matter how many tricks I play. But I know you. The Lord knows. Preacher, I want to come this morning. I want to come this morning. God's doing my heart. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure if I died right now. I'm not 100% sure if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. Oh, God, touch heart. I hate to close it. I've never been any more certain about a salvation message than this morning. 